I live? It says due to poor wireless connection. Not on Wi-Fi. Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go with it. it. Says live up in the top left corner. So, anyway, hey guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, I know it's been a while since I made a video. Well, I made one yesterday, but I haven't put it on Facebook yet. It's my first time on Facebook Live. I'm gonna put this on my YouTube channel later. Um, anyway, I'm back. I'm making videos. I'm gonna continue to be making videos. Um, I'm excited to do that. I've got some pretty, I think, pretty cool ideas um, that I'm gonna be moving forward with, but. The one I made yesterday, it was a super long YouTube upload. It didn't upload until like midnight, I think, something like that, which isn't super useful. Um, but I'll, I'll put a link to that in the comments for this video. But basically, the one I made yesterday was about um, kind of my quick thoughts on the Democratic debate night one and kind of what I expected to see going forward in the debates last night, um, kind of what I was looking for. Um, anyway... So I'll talk about that, talk about some of my predictions, what I might have been right on, maybe wrong, um, and then what I expect to see going forward. So anyway, just right off the bat, what people were kind of expecting, what looking for um, last night was the kind of rematch between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Um, people got it, right? That's what happened right off the bat. Um, in the video I made yesterday, I kind of said, hey, look... Um, it seemed like the way the moderators were framing the questions, uh, night one was a little bit more antagonistic maybe. Um, like they were really trying to be a little more sensational with their questioning and trying to facilitate conflict between the candidates. And I expected that again between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And that's exactly what happened right out the gates, right? So they basically started off with, hey, your plan, hey, your plan, go. Like, you know, ready, fight. Um, and they gave them, it seemed like, the first several minutes to just go back and forth debating each other. It was kind of the Biden and uh, Harris show right off the bat. Uh, so we got what we were looking for there. Uh, Kamala Harris did not look near as good as she did in the first debate. Um, I guess probably because she was kind of the one on the attack in that first one. And then the second one, the moderator said, hey, here's the conflict. Go. Um, so she didn't look very good in that. Biden looked a lot better. He looked a lot more prepared. But I think a lot of that had to do with the way that conflict was framed. And I'll I'll get into that at the very end. Uh, I think it's something really interesting to be looking for going forward in these Democratic primaries. Um, but I'll expand on that later. So anyway, so we got the rematch. Um, it was, again, it was the Harris and um, Biden show right off the bat. So we got it. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about, maybe predicting a little bit going into last night was... So night one of the debates, what was interesting is they put the the main, I guess, progressives on the stage together on night one. So they had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on the stage night one, and it was basically the moderates on stage, or those who, you know, presumably moderates, attacking Warren and Sanders. And neither Elizabeth Warren nor Bernie Sanders had a very good night, night one. They couldn't give good explanations for their policies. Uh, their answers weren't very good. Basically, anytime they were pressed, it was, well, why don't you dream big enough? Um, they didn't look very good. In fact, I touched on this yesterday, but Huffington Post was running stuff like, oh, the moderators were using Republican talking points against Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, you know, which is ludicrous. Um, but basically, the people on the far left, the more progressive wing, um, Young Turks, Vox, etc., they were pissed about the way they thought Sanders and Warren were treated 
in night one of the debate. So it was more the moderates ganging up on the progressives. And what I was kind of pondering yesterday was if it was going to be the opposite last night, because the main person to attack last night was going to be Joe Biden. And Joe Biden represents the kind of moderate lane in these Democratic primaries. So the only way to attack him would be from the left of his flank, from that say that he's too moderate. Obviously, none of the candidates are, are going to come out there and say, well, you're not moderate enough, man. You know, they're, they're not going to attack him from the right. They're only going to come at him from the left. Uh, so I was wondering if it was going to be more of progressive uh, policy pile on uh, kind of attacking moderate positions. And that's what it was. Um, Biden was consistently attacked for being too moderate or being too soft on certain things. And what's interesting there is they're basically attacking the legacy of Barack Obama as well. They're intrinsically tied. Um, you know, there's a reality that Barack Obama from 2008 uh, or maybe even 2012 would not last. He would not last at all in the, in these primaries. He just wouldn't. He would be perceived as too moderate, too soft. I mean, he would maybe even come across like a conservative. I mean, the dude ran against same-sex marriage the first time and maybe even again in 2012. I can't remember... Um, but he just wouldn't last. And so because of how far left a lot of the mainstream policy positions have shifted in the Democratic Party, Obama just looks really moderate, um, not woke enough, not progressive enough, and therefore by proxy Biden also. Um, so, But it'll be interesting to see them continue to try and attack Joe Biden um, while trying not to directly necessarily attack the most popular Democratic president in you know years and years, in many decades. I mean, Obama just is one of the most popular presidents probably in the last three or four decades. Um, so attacking Biden without attacking Obama or trying to separate the two out is going to be a continual problem that the people attacking Joe Biden have. And they didn't do very well doing that last night as well. Um, another kind of highlight from last night, Tulsi Gabbard going for the jugular on Kamala Harris. It was great. Uh, you know, she kind of lost her footing in a little bit in the beginning. Um, but they still were giving her a lot of space to talk. It, at the beginning of the debates, it was interesting. They'd be, uh, Governor Inslee, what do you think about this? Senator Harris, your response? Uh, Booker, what do you think about this? Senator Harris, your response? Biden, what do you think about this? Senator Harris, your response? It felt like they just kept going back to her. Um, but after that moment when Tulsi Gabbard went after her, she was basically done, it seemed like, um, in that debate last night. Um, cause, I mean, Basically, for those of you who haven't seen it, what happened was that... I think it was uh, Jake Tapper said something like, you know, uh, Scabbard, uh, you criticized um, Kamala Harris for her for basically her attacks on Joe Biden um, in the first debate. Do you do you stand by that or what do you think about that? And instead of saying, yeah, yeah, I didn't think it was a very good idea. She just went for the throat on Kamala Harris and was like, you're a bad prosecutor. You hurt all these people. You had these apologies. You were hurting this dude on death row, all this other stuff. So Kamala Harris did not look good um, in that moment. And she never really recovered for the rest of the night. Um, so I, Tulsi Gabbard has not yet qualified for the debates in September. I think they have until the 28th of August. I think she will um, after it. Well, I think she will if she can ride the momentum of kind of that moment where, you know, really, as reductive as it sounds, it was kind of a moment where it's like, oh, hey, Kamala Harris isn't the only really, really strong woman in this race other than Elizabeth Warren. You know, there's Amy Klobuchar, who she has some popularity. Um, Kirsten Gildebrand is going to be out. And it's kind of Tulsi Gabbard's way of saying, hey, dude, like, I'm here. I, I can do this. I'm pretty sharp. 
and she demonstrated that last night as a pretty big contender against Kamala Harris. So anyway, so those are some of the bigger takeaways. Some of the other highlights, just things I thought were a little bit humorous. Bill de Blasio is a total nut job. Uh, multiple times he said, we're going to tax the hell out of the wealthy. We're going to tax the hell out of the rich. And, you know, and it's just like, dude, good luck. You know, that's a, that's a heck of a policy position there, uh, Haas. Good luck with that one. And, and he even had people there protesting him um, during the debates for not firing a, the police officer who I think was involved in the shooting of Eric Garner. So, I mean, that dude is just, he's out, but he had no problem going out in a, uh, in a ball of flames, man. I mean, he, we're going to tax the wealthy and all these other great positions. And he was attacking Obamacare and all this other stuff. So de Blasio is gone. That dude's totally nuts. Uh, Yang had a pretty funny line, you know, regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, you know, he said, what we need is the opposite of Donald Trump, uh, an Asian who likes math. I, th I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so Andrew Yang, I think, did a good job, um, again, distinguishing himself from the rest of the pack. Uh, so I expect to see him, again, I think, rise a little bit in the polls as well. I don't know if he'll qualify in September if he doesn't. Bummer, but whatever. Uh, Kirsten Gildebrand, uh, so she going into this, she was in big, big trouble she, I think the, her campaign had said that she needed a donor every second um, in order to qualify for the debates in September. So if that's true, you know, she's hosed. If you go to her, I guess if you go to her um, her website, her donation page, it's there's like a timer ticking down and it's like every 60 seconds like, oh no, you didn't donate. So basically she was just trying to do anything she could to have like a viral moment um, in the debate last night. So she attacked Joe Biden on an op-ed that he wrote back in 1981. And that was a total fail. No one cared. Uh, and then she also, she was going to be the white savior and she was going to go to the suburbs and tell all these white moms about their privilege and how the only thing keeping their sons alive when they're out wearing hoodies at night is the fact that their faces are white. Um, which you know, she's grasping at straws, trying to appear as woke as possible so that she can get some support and have a moment. But as a side note, if she's right, she may have solved the increasing, honestly, crisis of unsolved murders in the inner city. It's not more police, guys. We just got to drop off big cases of white face paint in inner city Chicago and Atlanta and Baltimore and L.A. and just have everyone in the hood... Just put that white white face paint on, and no one's going to get shot there anymore. I mean, Kirsten Gildebrand solved the problem, so good for her, I guess. Maybe that'll give her a boost, um, solving that solving that inner city uh, murder problem. Uh, Joe Biden had a pretty funny moment at the very end. So I forgot who the first person was to kind of give their closing remarks. I think it was Bill de Blasio, um, <laughs> saying that Donald Trump was a socialist. Which okay, good luck with that. He had this moment where he's like, "We'll say." you're the socialist, Mr. Trump. And he's like waiting for an applause line. It's like, oh crap, no one's with me on this, man. Um, but anyway, so everyone starts off like, go to my website, go to my website, go to my website. And it ends with Joe Biden. And I mean, the dude's just gassed by the end of the night, clearly. And so whenever Joe Biden's trying to tell people to go to his website, go to, please join me at Biden 30333 at hotmail.com. I think, you know, he's clearly giving the number you're supposed to text, but it's, you know, as a website, you know, and he just, 
it, it doesn't help him to look like that grandpa who's like, how do I check my text messages? How do I do that? Uh, so that doesn't, that doesn't help him at all. It's pretty funny. Uh, in the video I made yesterday, I, <clears throat> I was wondering if Don Lemon was going to find a way to top himself with his idiotic line of questioning that he did in night one. Um, he didn't top himself per se, but I do think he tied himself. So basically here was how the questioning would go. So Dana Bash would ask something reasonable. Jake Tapper would ask something reasonable. And then Don Lemon would frame every question with, given the fact that the president is a brutal racist Nazi who's murdering children in the street, what should we do about climate change? And that was just how he framed every question was, given the fact that this orange president is actively trying to murder you in your sleep tonight because of what a racist he is, what should we do about the economy? So Don Lemon continued these uh, horrible line of questioning. One of the best moments there was, uh, so the only other person who was kind of moderate on stage was Michael Bennett, who is this dude from Colorado. I think he's Senator. Um, he kind of looks like Frankie Muniz, all grown up, like the whitest dude up there. So Don Lemon just asked him a question. Like Michael Bennett hasn't said a thing for like an hour and 26 minutes. He's like, uh, Mr. Bennett, given the fact that Donald Trump actively wants to murder every black person in the country, what are you going to do to solve the racial divide in this country? Like just catches Mike, Michael Bennett off guard, hardcore. I mean, the dude looks like Charlie Brown at age 45. Like he's the whitest guy possible. It's like, what are you going to do to solve race problems in the country? Michael Bennett's like, uh, pass, phone a friend. I don't know. So Don Lemon um, definitely tied himself for being a horrific moderator. It was pretty funny. Um, the other, I guess the last thing that was uh, pretty humorous last night was there were several times that someone would uh, mention a Republican talking point. And basically, <laughs> you pretty quickly realize that Republican talking point was code for, I don't have an answer for this, man. So night one, anytime Sanders or Warren was pressed on something, it was like, why aren't you dreaming big enough? Why can't we dream... I thought we were going to genetically create unicorns and give them to every person in the country. And why aren't you dreaming? And the the line last night for I Don't Have an Answer was, what's up with these Republican talking points? A great example was uh, Julian Castro, who was in the Obama administration. I think he was an HUD director. Um, there was another person in the Obama administration. I can't remember who it was, but who basically said, look, if we decriminalize crossing the border illegally we're going to incentivize people to come here more. And Jake Tapper asked him a reasonable question. Like, you know, are we going to incentivize people to come here more if we decriminalize it? Which is a very simple question. And Julian Castro open borders is a Republican talking point. And it's just punt. You know, I think Cory Booker said the same thing at one point. Maybe I know Kamala Harris uh, said it as well. So it's like, you know, here's a Democrat criticizing you. And your answer is, what's with these Republican talking points? So it just kind of became the catch-all for, I don't freaking know, man. I pass. You know, it's kind of like get pulled over by a police officer. Sir, why were you going 20 miles over the speed limit in a school zone? Officer, what's with these Republican talking points? I mean, really, we're here to beat Donald Trump. Um, so that was pretty funny. So main takeaways. First off, I think Kamala Harris is in trouble. Uh, she might recover. Um... We'll see what happens. She's Like I said, she's already qualified for the debate in September. Um, so, But I think she's in trouble. That's, that's the first one. The second thing is, 
that again people are kind of saying that Obama came, or not Obama sorry Joe Biden he he did emerge as he weathered the storm he emerged as the moderate he's still the moderate I don't think so I think that even though Biden said things that I maybe could make him seem like the moderate or the fact that he did okay um, or weathered the storm so to speak uh, I agree she's done um, maybe pro- probably. But he also said things that I think will absolutely come back and bite him in the butt that are far from moderate positions. So two examples. One, he was asked, is there any room for fossil fuels in your administration? And he says, no. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll work it out. But no. Dude, that's coal. That's natural gas, which heat and power tens of millions of homes in America. Petroleum, that's not just cars. That's what fuels are airplanes, that's what fuels, you know, stealth bombers, all of these things. Um, so those are very, that's a very radical position. Like, yeah, we're just going to get rid of fossil fuels, all of them. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to run our stealth bombers, but we'll figure it out. Uh, that flux capacitor thing that Doc Brown invented, can we use that? Um, that's pretty radical. I think that'll come back and bite him in the butt. That's not moderate in the slightest. Um, the other thing that he said that was pretty radical, oh, the Hyde Amendment. So Kamala Harris press, pushes him on, why don't you support the Hyde Amendment? Um, or why why did it take you this long to you know be against it or whatever? Like the Hyde Amendment is basically saying, hey, we're not going to use federal tax money to pay for abortions. So a person whose you know federal income tax was collected in Missouri is not going to pay for the abortions of someone in Oregon. Which is, by the way, an extraordinarily uh, unpopular position in America. Um, that It's unpopular that federal taxpayer dollars would pay for other people's abortions. Very few people support something like that. But Obama, uh, Biden's like, yeah, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I'm, I've, I've finally come around and Kamala Harris is pushing him on it. Like it's some type of controversial thing to be against federal taxpayer dollars to pay for other people's abortions. So I think that's a pretty radical position. So to say that Joe Biden emerged as a moderate, I think is is not accurate at all. And I think some of those things are going to come back and bite him um, in the butt. Oh, and particularly add on the fact that whether it's last night or the night before where they're saying, well, yeah, and we want to provide these things for people who enter the country illegally. You know, it's, at, poll the average American and say, do you think that your federal tax dollar should pay for the abortion of an illegal immigrant, extraordinarily unpopular position. So to say that Biden is a moderate while saying some of those things, obviously the moderators at the debate are going to let the, all of that slide. Um, but I think those are going to come back and bite him in the butt and that he's his moderate chops, so to speak, um, aren't as strong as you would think. And then here's the final thing that I think is pretty fascinating to think about going forward uh, in terms of just the framing, and as these primaries continue to be uh, winnowed down. So, as I said earlier, you know, HuffPo, Young Turks, and then they were pissed about the way it seemed like the moderators were not on the side of Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders in the first night. And they didn't seem to be. Um, it seemed like they were trying to highlight the unworkability of a lot of their positions, particularly healthcare, um, you know, college tuition um, for everyone, etc., and last night, so so think about this, the way that they framed the debate between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they were going to do it, but they framed it, in, again, in the context of health care. So what they could have done is right off, right off the bat, they could have said, 
used the, what was the thing that Harris was strong in the first night. They could have said, hey, this thing with busing, you know, Biden, why, have you changed your position? Are you still a total racist piece of crap? What's going on? But they didn't. They instead framed it in the context of something where Harris was weak and Biden was strong. So they started off this conflict and gave them a lot of time to talk about it because the reality is Kamala Harris's healthcare plan, she says, is in line with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, the same people who they're trying to highlight the unworkability of their plans night one. So they said, well, here's your plan. You know, it's kind of my plan potato, your plan potato. Let's call the whole thing off in the beginning. They were just going back and forth about their healthcare plans. And it was obvious that Kamala Harris's plan was not very good or workable. The fact that they framed it that way is not on accident. They didn't let it just happen organically. They didn't frame it in the way that Harris had the advantage and Biden had the disadvantage. They started it off. They're like, we're going to set the terms of this. We're going to give Biden the advantage because he does. His plan is at least more workable in theoretically than Kamala Harris's plan. So it seems pretty obvious that both nights they were trying to highlight the weaknesses of the more far left candidates in the field. Um, and I don't think that's on accident. You know, I don't think this is a tinfoil hat hour to say that there's not a lot of love between CNN or the mainstream media generally and Donald Trump. They don't like him very much. And for good reason, there's, you know, the feelings mutual. So it, it makes sense that they're not, they're pretty ready for him to be out of office. So they're going to want the most electable person to make it through these primaries. They know that Biden's vulnerable in the primaries because the positions that are more popular in the primaries are the more radical positions. So they have to help Biden get through the primaries or at least the moderate positions get through the primaries because they know that a moderate, a more moderate position taker, whoever that person might be, has a better chance of beating Donald Trump in the in the main election than a more, than like Bernie Sanders. Like he would lose. Elizabeth Warren would probably lose too. Um, so I think that they're probably intentionally trying to help the more moderate positions, at least, in terms of framing them in a better light than the more far left positions. Um, you know, again, look at the way they ask the questions and look at how the more um, the media sources that represent the more far left part of the Democratic Party have reacted to these debates. They're not super thrilled. And I think that's on purpose. Um, the way that it's been framed and what's been taking place. You know, think back to in the primaries leading up to the 2016 election, the DNC was actively conspiring against Bernie Sanders. This is, you know, the, the emails were leaked, man. I mean, th this isn't hidden stuff. This isn't disputable. So I think the same thing's happening again. You know, Donna Brazil was feeding Hillary Clinton questions before the debates. Donna Brazil was the interim chair of the DNC at the time. So they were trying, they were scheduling the debates between Clinton and Sanders at times when no one was watching them, at times when they knew no one watched this stuff. So I think the same thing that happened then in terms of trying to get who they viewed as the more electable person through the primary process is happening again now where, I, I, and I'm not saying some big conspiracy or anything, but I think any person who has a political opinion, um, whether it be the DNC or the mainstream media, is going to be trying to help the more moderate positions get through the primary process because they perceive that as 
um, having a better chance of beating Donald Trump in the general election. So I'll be interested to see if that trend continues in you know whether the people that they interview or the way they frame the aftermath of these debates going forward and leading up to September. Um, as of right now, the seven people that have qualified for September, uh, it's again, it's mostly the more people on the far left. Um, there's not as many moderates there. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But that's something to look forward to. Um, I guess moving on, you know, we still got a heck of a lot of time left in these things. If there's anything that I missed, any other thoughts you might have, um, drop it in the comments. I'm going to put this video on my YouTube as well. And I'll, like I said, I'll put a link to the video I made yesterday as a short one, made it while I was driving to a haircut appointment. Um, probably shouldn't have done that. Whoops. Uh, but it was my thoughts more on the night one of the debate as well. Um, I'm going to make another video this weekend, I think. Uh, I'm going to be putting out more content. I've got some ideas uh, jotted down. You know, I get in these kind of stream of consciousness type things where I'm just writing down all these ideas. And I think the next one, I want to do a short video kind of explaining minimum wage and kind of the economics and philosophy of minimum wage. You know, that's been a big thing in the headlines lately, um, fighting for this $15 an hour minimum wage. And then um, I, I don't think it was Presley... Um, I forgot who it was, Ilhan Omar, it's one of the squad, not AOC, the, the third one, um, not, the one I'm missing, uh, was talking about $20 an hour minimum wage, uh, like a week or so ago. So just kind of, it's been in the media a lot, it's been in the, the news, it's a big uh, p platform, I guess, for a lot of the candidates in this primary is talking about minimum wage and living wage and raising the minimum wage. Um, so I'll probably make a video this weekend, just a short one, trying to give some thoughts on how, how to think about minimum wage. Um, and I've got some other stuff going forward, be, talk about where I'm at, what I've been thinking about. And, uh, yeah, it's giving me some updates on the channel. So anyway, good stuff is coming. Rashida Tlaib. That's right. Thank you, darling. This is why you get married. You got a person that can fill in the gaps intellectually. And I've got a lot of them. Um, so thanks, babe. Uh, Rashida Tlaib was talking about $20 hour minimum wage. Um, anyway, so that'll probably be the next one. Uh, that said, I guess thanks for watching. And uh, again, if you have any thoughts or anything you'd like to see me make a video on, drop it in the comments. Uh, if you like this, if you want to see more of this, please share. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Return to Reason. Like I said, I'll put a link to it in the comment for this as well. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's it. See you next time.